Good morning, this is David Bennett, and this is Bitcoin And, a podcast where I try to find the edge effect between the worlds of Bitcoin, gaming, permaculture, podcasting, and education to gain a better understanding of all. Edge effect is a concept from ecology describing a greater diversity of life where the edges of two systems overlap. While species from either system can be found at the edge, it is important to note there are species in the overlap that exist in neither system, and that is what I seek to uncover. So join me in discovering the variety of things being created as Bitcoin rubs up against other systems. It is 6 a.m. Central Daylight Time. It is the, what is it? The Oh, it's the 8th of July, 2021. This is episode... 452 of Bitcoin and man, it's a mess out there, dude. Everything, oh, like oh, everything that's like you could be long on is being shorted, dude. And it's not just Bitcoin; it's across the markets. Bond yield slipping, freaking Doge and shit. Beyond, you know, I don't know. We'll get, we'll, we'll, we'll get into all of that. I, I promise, and and much, much more. But first, if you've noticed this uh thing on twitter and other thing you know, other places where augustine karsten is opening his mouth again uh this he actually said quite a while ago i don't know why it's back the 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 video is back in the uh news feeds again but it is and in case you're just skipping over it here's what our good friend augustine karsten's the director of the bis or bank of international settlements has to say about your ability to spend money. Aren't our analysis on CBDC in particular for the use of general, to the general use, uh, we tend to establish the equivalence with cash. Uh, and there is a huge difference there. Uh, for example, in cash, uh, we don't know, for example, who's using a $100 bill today. We don't know who is using a 1,000 peso bill today. Uh, a key difference in, with the CBDC is that central bank will have absolute control on the rules and regulations that will determine the use of that uh, expression of central bank liability. And also we will have the technology to enforce that. Those, are, those two issues are extremely important and that makes a huge difference with respect to what, uh, to what Cash is. boy, Augustine. You go get him there, brother. <laughs> being able to track everything, being able to shut you down. I mean, if you really, really get right down to the root of it, it means that if you don't do exactly what they tell you to do, if they don't eat exactly what they tell you to eat, if you don't turn off your air conditioners exactly when they tell you to turn off your air conditioners, they're just basically going to tell you that you can't spend your money. And even in the best of times, even in the very, very best of times, and you're doing everything that daddy government tells you to do, they're still going to say, you know what, you're doing okay, but the guy that you want to buy from over here, the guy with the papusa truck, no, 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 no. We suspect him of being a domestic terrorist, so you can't buy papusas from him. And we can control that because you were dumb enough to let us put in a CBDC. Bitcoin fixes this and a whole lot of other stuff. Let's get into the news. Member of Argentina's National Congress submits bill to allow workers to receive their salaries in Bitcoin. Nick Hoffman has it from Bitcoin Magazine. The pay me in Bitcoin movement just got a lot stronger today with Jose Luis Ramon, a member of Argentina's National Congress, announcing he submitted a bill that would allow workers in a dependency relationship and exporters of services to have the option of receiving their full or partial salary in Bitcoin. This impactful message in the, or the impactful message in the announcement is what he said in the last sentence, quote, the idea is that they can strengthen their autonomy and conserve the purchasing power of their remuneration. The citizens of Argentina have been dealing with insane amounts of hyperinflation in the Argentine peso, resulting in them being unable to save their wealth. Looking at the core inflation value or core inflation rate for the Argentinian peso, they are in dire need of Bitcoin. Ramon went on to state, this initiative stems from the need to promote greater autonomy. 
and governance of wages without this implying a loss of rights or exposure to situations of abuse within the framework of the employment relationship, end quote. Argentina seems to be following in the footsteps of El Salvador, who made Bitcoin legal tender recently, and this plays into the recent theme of congressmen in South American countries pushing for adoption of Bitcoin. Central banks and the fiat system have really hurt these countries via hyperinflation and have excluded most of their citizenry from having good financial infrastructure. Bitcoin's 21 million hard cap supply saves them from suffering any more wealth evaporation and allows them to be their own bank. According to Occuant, only 48.7% of the Argentine population have a bank account, yet 78% do have internet access. More people than ever before in Argentina will be able to get paid in, store their wealth in, and spend their money in Bitcoin, thus improving their quality of life, which is beautiful. So, uh, you know, I was, for a long time on this show, I was saying that, I, I, and I still say this, I don't care what the first world does. I really don't. Most people have banking relationships. Most people have the ability to, you know, cash checks and do all that kind of stuff. It was going to be Africa or South and Central America that I really had my eyes on. And it looked like South America broke way before uh, the the African nations did. So it's not that I was like, you know, right, because it could have gone either way, but it was going to be one of those two. And I'm really, really glad that it was Central and South America because I do, I'm starting to, I've been believing this for a while that you go, you know, you might be saying to me, well, David, they're all communists down there. And I'm like saying, yeah, well, there's probably a reason they're all communists down there. And I'm starting to wonder if even the Bolshevik you know, movement in Russia way, way, way back in the day when the whole notion of communism started coming up, didn't start coming up because central banking had been in effect for quite a while. Not like it is now, but it was, it's not like it didn't have a stranglehold back then too. And that the only way out was in their minds was communism because nothing else was working for them. They kept being poor. They were not having fun staying poor. So they tried something different. And it seems to me that everywhere the IMF and central banks and World Economic Federation or Foundation and all these people, every time they make loans, after a few decades, what happens? A communist revolution. Shit's been going on for over 100 years, man. So I'm starting to just point my finger at central banking as an industry or I don't know, what do, what do you want to call it? It's not an industry. Uh, and it's like institutionalized central banking. Let's just call it that. Ever since these guys have been around, you've had communism. So fuck off. I'm sorry, but that, this is why I believe wholeheartedly that this is why we have communism in the world today. Because of thieves and criminals and the corrupt and the immoral and the unethical being in the highest echelons of power. I think that's what causes communism. That's why we have the entire idea. That's why one of the reasons Marx was, was you know, sat down and, and, and wrote this book, although there's arguments that he was actually paid to write his book, but let's not even, let's not even get into that. I'm just going to point my finger at the central banks and say, you're the reason we have to deal with communist bullshit. Now, While Europe demonstrates totalitarian inclinations, coming off of what I just said, Bitcoin comes to the rescue. Namcios is writing for Bitcoin Magazine. Europe has lately been taking clear steps towards totalitarianism, showcasing a desire to take control of people's lives from communication to private property. In the last few days, individual moves by different countries in, in the continent have further illustrated this trend. Thanks to Satoshi, We have Bitcoin. The unstoppable peer-to-peer currency is set to be the answer. The European Parliament has approved the e-privacy derogation, which allows email and messaging service providers to search all personal messages of citizens automatically. The alleged motivation backing this action is to search for presumed suspect content and report suspected cases to the police as shared by Patrick Breyer, digital freedom fighter 
and member of the European Parliament since 2019. Quote, in today's vote, 537 members of the European Parliament approved chat control with 133 voting against and 20, uh, 20 abstentions, Breyer wrote. While providers will initially have a choice to search or not to search communications, follow-up legislation expected this autumn is to oblige all communication service providers to indiscriminate screening, end quote. However, what this totalitarian move effectively represents is a new and automated mass surveillance reality in the European Union. Citizens will be prevented from enjoying private conversations and networked mediums altogether. Digital privacy should be acknowledged as a natural extension of human privacy rights, something the United Nations supposedly recognizes. Quote, no one shall be subjected to arbitrary interference with his privacy, family, home, or correspondence nor to attacks upon his honor and reputation, reads Article 12 of the UN's Declaration of Human Rights. Quote, everyone has the right to the protection of the law against such interference or attacks, end quote. It is therefore unclear how much mass surveillance action could pass Parliament. Breyer also shared his thoughts on the EU's new regulation. Quote, the adoption of the first ever EU regulation on mass surveillance is a sad day for all of those who rely on free and confidential communications and advice including abuse victims and press sources. He wrote, the regulation deals a death blow to the confidentiality of digital correspondence. <clears throat> Excuse me, pardon. It is a general breach of the dam to permit indiscriminate surveillance of private spaces by corporations. By this totalitarian logic, our post, our smartphones, our bedrooms could be also be generally monitored. Unleashing such denunciation machines on us is ineffective, illegal, and irresponsible, end quote. Such a move by the European Union infringes upon human rights and doesn't necessarily lead to its desired outcomes. According to Breyer, in most cases, innocent citizens come under suspicion of having committed an offense due to unreliable processes. Therefore, in this case, the many pay a toll for the actions of a select few through an indirect fallacious claim that the end justifies the means. Child abuse and pornography, seemingly central aspects to the law's approval, would also not be eradicated by these surveillance mechanisms. Quote, Indiscriminate searches will not protect children and even endanger them by exposing their private photos to unknown persons and by criminalizing children themselves. The right approach would be, for example, to intensify undercover investigations into child porn rings and reduce the years-long processing backlogs in searches and evaluations of seized data, wrote Breyer. According to Russian news outlet TASS, the country's lawmakers are working on legislative amendments to authorize the confiscation of Bitcoin and other cryptocurrencies under the claims that they are allegedly being used for criminal activities. Quote, a serious challenge is the criminal use of cryptocurrencies in our country, said Prosecutor General of the Russian Federation, Igor Krasnov, according to a translated version of the report. Quote, a significant step in overcoming this problem was the adoption in July 2020 of the federal law on digital assets. Currently, work is underway to amend the criminal procedural legislation. This will allow the application of restrictive measures and confiscation of virtual assets, end quote. Krakow later <clears throat> added that Bitcoin has increasingly been used for bribery and corruption in Russia. The solution, he thinks, is to allow the government to seize BTC. He believes this would deter future criminals from using Bitcoin for illegal activities. The latency of these criminal acts has recently been aggravated by the use of crypto assets as bribes. The performance of cryptocurrency exchange operations as a way to launder stolen budget funds, Krasnov said. The prosecutor's remarks demonstrate a profound misunderstanding of how Bitcoin fundamentally works. If users transact with BTC that they custody themselves, there's virtually no way for a government to interfere. Russian officials, or those from any other country for that matter, cannot stop, censor, or revert Bitcoin transactions, and BTC seizure is no different. A third party cannot hijack Bitcoin under self-custody unless through personal or remote attacks. The only scenario this could happen would be if the transacting parties utilize centralized services of Bitcoin custody and transmission such as, for example, a centralized exchange. But in that case, the users would not be transacting BTC anyway. <clears throat> it remains to be seen how the Russian government will proceed in the coming months. 
Nonetheless, this law would also mark a clear demonstration of authoritarianism and infringement upon human rights if enacted. It does not make sense to punish use of the tool itself rather than the criminal user. If such an approach were to be applied to other monetary mediums of exchange, people would stop using dollars in traditional banks, which very often serve criminal purposes. Now in Spain, over the weekend, the government of Spain started flirting with totalitarian measures itself. According to a report by local news outlet El Pace, Spain is mulling over a national mobilization and security law which would compel citizens to temporarily, in quotes, give up their rights in instances of future public health crises and other emergencies. This is getting bad, y'all. If you can't read through the lines, man, this is getting bad. Quote, any person of legal age shall be obliged to carry out the, quote, personal obligations required by the competent authorities following the guidelines of the National Security Council when a state of crisis is declared in Spain. In this case, all citizens without exception must comply with the orders and instructions issued by the authorities, end quote, read a translation of the report. The vagueness of the statement suggests that nothing would be off limits as it relates to legitimizing state authorities' ability to invade citizens' personal lives and private property, which is also cited, quote, in the event that a state of crisis is declared in Spain and situation of interest to national security is the exact same name given by law, the authorities may also proceed to the temporary requisition of all types of property at the intervention of provisional occupation of those that are necessary or the suspension of all kinds of activities, states the report. Although future legislation would allegedly assure a compensation to follow, it is unclear if the government would endure it, and even then this law would embody sharp, tangible detriments to fundamental human rights. This is because, since the state itself is the one to declare the state of emergency, any ruling government would enjoy the absolute power to act on it and seize and control whatever they see fit. The monetary network idealized and shared by Satoshi Nakamoto in 2009 is uniquely positioned to empower those who find themselves trapped by totalitarian regimes that do not respect basic human rights. Bitcoin, founded on a set of principles that value private property, individual freedom, and financial sovereignty, can help those reclaim what is theirs and have meticulous control of what, how, and when they spend their money and with whom. People across the globe that research the basics of Bitcoin learn how to properly leverage it for privacy, self-custody, their holdings, and run their own nodes to become self-sovereign will be able to peacefully withstand such totalitarian regimes in case they disseminate, as well as to take a meaningful stance against them. Holy shit, that was a long one, guys, but Europe's going, going the way that you don't want to see Europe go. This is the kind of shit that world, sparks world wars. In this particular case, this is the kind of shit that's going to spark a worldwide revolution. It's not going to be, you know, a Spanish revolution or an English revolution or a Belgian revolution. It's going to be worldwide. And I don't think it's going to be bloodless at this point. I had hopes. I really did. But at this point, I I just, I can't see it going any way but but some pretty severe violence. I wish it wasn't that way. I really do. But I don't know. People are going to get pushed to their limit and you're going to start seeing sheep actually fight back. I don't know when. I can't, I was thinking it was going to happen 10 years ago. Hell, I don't know. It may not happen for another 10 years. But at one point or another, you're going to have 8 billion people stand up against the the rest of them who are basically in government or some kind of a, a quote-unquote authoritative control, and it's not going to be pretty. It's probably going to be pretty quick, though, because 8 billion against the rest is, I, I, just, I just see basically 8 billion people wiping the floor with the other, what, was it, where was it, like a 7.8 billion? So, like, let's say, let's say 7.2 billion people stand up against the other 0.6 billion people. Dude, you just, just not that's not going to be pretty not not at all and what is what else isn't pretty well if you were a bitconnect promoter you're getting your ass handed to you kind of let's find out more samuel haig has it for cointelegraph 
SEC closes in on settlements with United States BitConnect promoters for millions of dollars. The U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission is nearing settlements with four U.S.-based individuals accused of promoting the multi-billion dollar crypto Ponzi scheme BitConnect. Looking at you, Carlos Mateo. According to Law 360, the terms of the settlements are currently awaiting final approval from Judge John Codal. The judge noted that while agreement terms are legally sound, minor fixes are needed to be made to ensure that they are scrupulously accurate. <laughs> okay. The agreements include a more than $3 million settlement from Joshua Heppinson of Massachusetts and $576,000 from his fiancee, Laura Mascola, $526,000 from Ryan Masson of Oklahoma, and an unspecified amount from Michael Noble of California. The SEC filed lawsuits against six of the scheme's promoters in May this year, alleging they offered and sold unregistered securities in the United States, including advertising BitConnect's lending platform in testimonial-style videos. The two remaining defendants, Trevon Brown and South of South Carolina and Craig Grant of Florida, are yet to agree to settlement terms with the SEC. The Law 360 report notes that throughout 2017, the company lured investors with promises of no-risk returns, enticing them to pledge Bitcoin used as collateral against which they could borrow and trade its native BitConnect coin. When the firm abruptly closed its lending platform in January 2018, technically, you lost your money, after receiving cease and desist orders from state regulators in North Carolina and Texas, Investors were unable to redeem their BTC holdings and were left holding a bag as BitConnect coin rapidly crashed by more than 90%. BitConnect is among the largest Ponzi schemes to have infiltrated the crypto sector, having duped roughly $2.5 billion from thousands of investors over the span of one year. The fallout of the scam has been global in reach with 52-year-old Australian promoter John Luis Anthony Bigaton facing six separate charges carrying penalties of between two and 10 years for his role in the scheme. So there, yeah, the BitConnect thing is, you know, maybe we'll actually have closure on one thing that's happened in Bitcoin's history because it sure as shit ain't going to happen with Mt. Gox, I'll tell you that much, man. All right. <clears throat> Now, getting back or, or coming back out of Bitcoin and into normie land, we've got, we've got this one. Now, here's the thing. I've, I don't know anything about WallStreetOnParade.com, which is the outlet that I'm reading this from. Uh, so you may want to investigate. I recommend investigating this one yourself. But apparently, a state attorney general files suit charging Wall Street megabanks with multi-year bid rigging and price fixing conspiracy and credit default swaps market. So they're talking about the, the 2008 debacle. Let's find out more. This has been written by Pam Martins and Russ Martins. Last week, the New Mexico Attorney General's office filed a breathtaking 128-page antitrust lawsuit in federal court in New Mexico on behalf of the state's $31 billion investment fund, the New Mexico State Investment Council. The council manages a permanent endowment along with money for 23 state agencies. The lawsuit alleges, backed by striking evidence, that the following banks have engaged in a 16-year conspiracy of bid rigging and price fixing in the credit default swap market. Bank of America, Merrill Lynch, Barclays, PNB Paribas, Citigroup, Credit Suisse, Deutsche Bank, Goldman Sachs, JP Morgan Chase, Morgan Stanley, and RBS. All of those guys all of them, all of them were knee deep in the credit default swap shit of 2007 through 2009. The lawsuit also names a swaps trade association, the International Swaps and Derivatives Association, as a defendant, noting that a majority of ISDA's board members are employed by the bank defendants. The lawsuit characterizes ISDA as a front organization, <laughs> holy shit, man. Two other companies involved in the allegedly rigged credit default swap protocol are also named Credit Max, or sorry, Creditex and Market. That's M A R K I T. The lawsuit draws attention to the fact that until mid 2014, Market was majority owned and controlled by a consortium of approximately 16 investment banks, including each of the bank defendants along with HSBC and UBS who sat on its board of directors. 
As fascinating as the details of the alleged price fixing are in the lawsuit, equally fascinating is the name of the council law firm that is representing the plaintiff, the New Mexico State Investment Council. That law firm is Kirby McInery, or McInery? Yeah, Kilney, sorry, Kirby McInery, which has a history of representing whistleblowers and frauds committed by Wall Street miscreants. The law firm's name jumped out at us because the extremely intimate and comprehensive details of how this alleged fraud was conducted, as outlined in the lawsuit, sounds uncannily like the work of an insider who is now blowing the whistle. The general outline of the conspiracy is described as follows in the lawsuit, quote, since, 2015, sorry, since 2005, the Wall Street banks that comprise the major detail, uh, re dealers of credit default swaps have been engaged in a conspiracy to manipulate the CDS, quote, final auction price, the benchmark price used to value all CDS contracts market-wide at settlement. The final auction price is generated through an auction process that was introduced to the market by the dealers in 2005. The dealers, Bank of America, and all the banks that I just read to you, have implemented this conspiracy by using their power over the CDS auction process to rig the CDS auctions and produce a typically super competitively low CDS final auction price, working with three entities over which the dealers yield significant power and influence, Credit Techs, ISDA, and Market, together with the dealers and the defendants, the dealers' conspiracy has yielded them billions of dollars in cartel profits at the expense of non-dealer market participants like plaintiff and the putative class members. So this is a class action. <laughs> End quote. One has to hope that the federal judge overseeing the case has a strong skill set in math and statistical analysis because the lawsuit includes actual formulas that were used to compile a statistical regression analysis that found the following, quote, plaintiff's regression shows to a, to a statistically significant degree that the dominant dealer's initial market submission predicts the other dealer's limit order submissions even after controlling for every variable that an economically rational CDS trader would rely on in forming his or her limit order, this substantiates the core findings of the plaintiff's analysis that the dominant dealer is communicating its initial market submission to the other dealers and the other dealers are coordinating their own submissions around that information. The findings of the plaintiff's statistical analysis are corroborated by facts that the plaintiff has uncovered concerning several mechanisms the de dealers have used to share pricing and commercially sensitive client information in the run-up to the CDS auctions, end quote. I'm going to stop right there. And the reason I'm going to stop right there is that this is, uh, this is kind of a big deal, uh, if you can't tell. It, now, yeah, I know you're, I, I can already hear you screaming, Dave, nobody's going to go to jail. I don't know. Maybe this time. Maybe this time it's different. I don't know. But somebody is hopping freaking mad. I mean, really, really angry because the language in this particular lawsuit is getting really close to accusing these people of being mafia. I mean, just organized crime, which we know it is. I mean, come on. It's, like, it's not like we haven't talked about this before. However, this is like, this seems to be one of the first times that somebody with any teeth and I'm honestly surprised that New Mexico was the first, considering that they're one of the poorest states in the nation. Maybe that's why it triggered it. But New Mexico, the, the state government doesn't have a whole lot of money to fight this. So I'm hoping that like somebody like Texas will join in and say, let's go. If we, can you imagine 49, like the, the other 49 states just balling up and saying enough? absolutely enough because if that happens these motherfuckers go down and they do go to jail and and they do get all their money confiscated and ugh, it's a mess but if you can't tell in the language of the bill it was a clear what the plaintiff is saying is that it's a clear open highly communicative conspiracy to set pricing amongst several cds dealer brokers they were all conspiring as to how they were going to run those prices, and they completely manipulated the entire system. Even if they hadn't 
I'm pretty sure the CDS thing would have collapsed, but they basically sped that whole thing up in either event. Hey, man, let's run the numbers. Flammable liquids having problems today again. <clears throat> West Texas Intermediate coming in at $71.77 after an over 1% or not 1%, over a one half percent drop in its futures price. Brent North Sea not faring very well likewise. 0.44% to the downside, $73.11. Natural gas is down a third of a point, $3.58 for a thousand cubic feet. And gas prices have dropped a full quarter, $2.20 per gallon. Uh, most shiny metal rocks not doing well, but that doesn't include gold, which is doing eh, okay. I'm sure Peter Schiff is happy. 0.78% to the upside brings gold in at $1,816 an ounce. Silver likewise up 0.64%, $26.29. Platinum is down a, a point. Copper's down a point and three quarters. Palladium is down uh, 0.66 of a percentage point. Uh, agricultural futures all look down, but there's not anything that's over a point uh, to the downside. So meh. And then the indices futures, the Dow is down. Ooh, man, there's going to be a bloodbath on Wall Street again today. One point, well, one and a quarter percent to the downside for the Dow. S&P futures, one and a quarter point downside. NASDAQ futures, 1.2% to the down. And S&P mini is down 1.59%, y'all. Dude, all of the uh, interest rate futures got pushed upwards. Um, like the 30 year actually went up 0.78% change in its price. 10 year futures up a third, the five year futures up 0.16 and the two year futures up 0.02. Real money took a hit as well. $32,259 and 68 cents for a Bitcoin. We've had 230,000 of them change hands in transactions over the last 24 hours. That's about 9,500 transactions on average per hour with 450,000 BTC being sent in the last 24 hours. That's 18,750 BTC every hour on the hour. Average transaction value is 1.9 BTC. Median transaction value is 0.027 BTC or about 800 and $64. Block times are high, but not, you know, not critical. 11 minutes and five seconds. 0.26 BTC taken in fees on a per block basis. 34.9 BTC taken in fees overall in the last 24 hours with a 10.27% uh, yeah, drop in hash rate. We're back below 100 to 91.47 exahashes per second. Your shit coin indicator that you may or may not hear about later on in a story about Elon is Dogecoin, and it has broken down below apparently its its support. And I I I laughed when I read that particular story. I'm like, <laughs> whatever. Anyway, so it's twenty uh twenty cents, twenty twenty United States pennies for a single Dogecoin. Remember, people, I got out at fifty five cents, and the only reason I didn't get out at seventy is that my freaking ledger was fried and I had to order another one and I waited and I waited and I waited. And by the time it got here, Doge was at 55 cents and I cut that shit out of my life completely. Clark Moody is showing 3,144 transactions waiting on two blocks to clear all the mempools. We have a $610.1 billion market capitalization, which has dropped to 5.16% of gold's total market cap. We can now only, only buy 18 ounces of gold with our single Bitcoin, of which there are 18,750,835.25 BTC in circulation. 1,723.79 of those, however, are in the Lightning Network with a capacity value of $56.1 million. That's being run over 12,255 nodes that we can see having 52,933 total payment channels. We have another all-time high of Tor capacity for the Lightning Network of 66.9% at 
And that means that 1,152.5 BTC are being run over in Lightning over the Tor network, and they are being held by 6,915 Tor nodes, or at least the nodes that we can see. And that's going to do it for Vitals. Welcome to part two of the morning roundup. We start off with, well, Doge and shitcoinery. However, I know I, I get shit when I read shitcoin articles, and that's great that you guys give me shit about it. I, honestly, it's like, dude, one guy said, man, you read me a whole article about a shitcoin, and I about lost my mind. And I'm like, yeah, it was important to read because you just got a reasoning being XYZ, which I forget about. But the reasoning behind this one is so that we can see the waning influence that even Elon Musk has on shitcoinery. Doge price crashes below key support, and even Elon Musk cannot help. This is out of CoinGape and is written by Prashant Ja. Dogecoin price slumped a further 7% today, registering a new weekly low of 21 cents. Well, now it's below that. As the downtrend continues for the meme currency, the altcoin failed to hold on to key support levels of 22 cents, and analysts believe the downtrend might continue further. Once the fourth largest cryptocurrency has slipped below XRP to settle for the seventh spot, the ridiculousness of this market. Doge price has lost 70% from its May all-time high of 73 cents, and the price will continue to slide further if it doesn't manage to see a trend reversal soon. The dominating bearish sentiment in the crypto market has led to the majority of coins losing over 50% of their value from the top. Dogecoin is seen as a relatively volatile crypto asset whose price has seen wide swings and one of the key reasons behind its mammoth rise this bull season. It has risen from a meme currency valued at a few cents to become a genuine investment option for many registering over a 5,000% rise in price in 2021. One of the key reasons behind Dogecoin's price rise was the Elon Musk factor, whose tweets in the past have pumped its price upwards of double-digit swings. Thousands of new social media traders invested heavily in the meme coin based on Musk's tweets, and they made a significant profit during the bull season. However, Musk's hold on Doge price is vanishing fast as his recent tweets have failed to move the market. And they've got one of Elon Elon's tweets up here, which is just a meme, you know, two chicks kissing over this guy who's basically trading on a computer at some party. Eh, whatever. Dude, he can't he was really not all that good at this, honestly. <clears throat> this news might not be good for Dogecoin holders, especially those who specifically invested in the meme currency because of Elon's impact on its price. However, in general, many market pundits believe we are moving into the post-Musk era where the billionaire cannot manipulate the market price by a single tweet. Many had warned Elon of the consequences that many amateur crypto traders might face for investing in the meme currency with no use case, and the likes of Max Kaiser predicting that the meme currency would decline at a similar rate at which it has risen. So there you go. If you were if you were getting into Doge, you got your ass handed to you. Okay, why is this one important? Well, because Elon basically started this. I, you know, people keep calling this a, a bull market, and I don't want to call it a bear market either. But it doesn't look all that bullish. But then again, I'm I'm not a seasoned trader. I mean, just because the price is going down of something doesn't necessarily mean that you're that you're not in a bull market. I, it confuses the piss out of me, which is why I just hodl. I don't trade. Um, but Elon was the tip of the spear, spear with all the FUD. It wasn't all his fault. He just, apparently, he's just the one that rang the bell. And everything started. Every, next thing you know, we got the Pope. We got the Vatican. We got Neil Kashkari coming out. Got the entire corporate media set coming out with stories. Then the environmental FUD takes over, and it was just like it was just like trying to like implode the entire the entire thing. But here's what's to remember: you cannot listen to one person. Hell, you can't even listen to the people that basically go to parties together. I'm talking like Elon Musk is has been to a party with Neil Kashkari. I guarantee it, and I'll bet you Jerome Powell was there as well. All those people, that entire class of people. Right. They just they they 
do immense amounts of global damage when they get together and when they coordinate. I mean, it's like a mafia. It's like that story I was reading you about the banks. It's like they, they're colluding for all this shit. We need to stop listening to all of these people. Now, the problem is, is that we're dealing with so many sheep out there that I don't, I don't think that's going to be, you know, I don't think that's going to be very all that effective until the sheep are just wiped out and they basically have nothing left to, to move the markets with. As sad as that is, I, I'm pretty sure that's what's, what's going to happen is that retail is going to get, they're just going to get cut out of the system because they're going to have lost everything. And there's all of a sudden, maybe at that point, maybe at that point, we can start seeing the, like the, the healing process take over. But man, right now it's like, it's like watching humanity being brutalized from all the way from their financial health all the way down to not even being able to call a piece of dirt their own. Because guess what? You'll own nothing and be happy about it. Unless you're Hamas. Maybe you want to get rid of your doge. Apparently Hamas holds a doge. I, yeah, I know, dude. Let's find out more. Coindesk. Israeli seizure order shows Hamas holds USDT, TRX, and doge. <laughs> Danny Nelson, please. Instruct me in the ways of your world. Israeli officials have moved to seize potentially millions of dollars in cryptocurrency from addresses it says are controlled by Hamas. Let's, let's pause. Addresses it says are controlled by Hamas. Let's continue. The wallets, 84 in all, hold a mix of cryptocurrencies, including BTC, Doge, Cardano, Stellar Lumens, XRP, and Ethereum, spelt with an I, and others, according to the files from the National Bureau of Counterterrorist Financing, tracing firm Elliptic, blah, 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 estimated in a blog post that the crypto wallets have received over $7.7 million in total. Quote, <clears throat> a number, okay, quote, and pause. Remember, Addresses, it says, are controlled by Hamas. And then we get the quote. A number of them, the addresses, are deposit addresses at exchanges, while others belong to brokers. Who's in control? Who's in control? It's not Hamas, not your keys, not your terrorist financing. Okay? <laughs> just, just saying. It's not theirs. It's controlled by exchanges. Of course Israel can get this shit. Just why you hold your own keys. And I mean, look, I'm not a terrorist and I don't like terrorism. And I, at this point, I don't, I don't know anything about the hell's going on in Israel and Palestine and Hamas and all the, the tree of life and all the bullshit that's going on over there. And I don't care anymore because they, they need to go ahead and just all out, fight it out, find out who wins and just do it that way. Because this whole bickering back and forth and, and launching these stupid ass rockets at each other doesn't seem to be very effective now, does it? It just continues the, the pain and suffering of all the people, Israeli and Palestinian alike. Look, I know if you hate Israel, I get you. If you hate Palestine, I get you. It's the people caught in the middle, man. It's not the, fuck the leadership of both these people. It's like the Palestinian shoe seller and the Israeli, I don't know, the, the, the guy selling food off a cart in, you know, in Israel. That's the guys, those are the people that I give a shit about. Bibi. He could, he could fall in a hole for all I give a shit about. Whoever the leader of Hamas is, he could fall in a hole. I don't care. Screw all these people. It's just the people in the middle that are actually getting hurt. But anyway, back to this one, Israel. <clears throat> so of the $7.7 .7 million, <clears throat> that $4.1 million is actually in Tether. Uh, and an additional $3.4 million is in Bitcoin with, with relatively meager amounts sprinkled across other coins. Trons accounts for 165,000, ETH for 51,000, and Doge for 40,000, according to Elliptic's analysis. The blockchain sleuthing firm said the seizure order indicates that Hamas is now using a range of crypto assets, an evolution of the terror group's previous reliance on Bitcoin alone. Oh my God, Hamas got into shitcoinery. It happens to the best of Bitcoiners. It happens to the worst of Bitcoiners. You find Bitcoin and the first thing you do is diversify your portfolio into shitcoins. Defense Minister Benny Gantz greenlit the seizure order on June the 30th, having been convinced 
that the wallets were linked to the terror group or used to perpetuate a, sev a severe terror crime, according to the seizure order. So Israel's going to end up getting that money unless Hamas empties those wallets. And I mean, like, either have already emptied the wallets or they do it today. They're, they are going to lose all of their bags of shit coins and their Bitcoin. I, the, the, the exchanges are going to hand it to the Israeli government. Why? Because Hamas doesn't own the keys. And if it's not your keys, it's not your shit coin. And that goes for all of them, man. Anyway, now a little bit of good news here. Former S, or S, former CFTC chair says a Bitcoin ETF would be a, would be good for investors and regulators. I mean, well, we're just behind Canada and Brazil. I mean, come on, dude. It's not that bad, right? Namcios tells us more from Bitcoin Magazine. An opinion article published today on Bloomberg makes a case for the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission to approve a Bitcoin exchange-traded fund. According to the, pre to the piece, authored by former chairman of the Commodity Futures Trading Commission, Timothy Massad, such a product would enhance transparency and integrity in the Bitcoin industry. Quote, a Bitcoin ETF would be a way for retail investors to invest in cryptocurrency without having to actually purchase it and deal with the complexities of custody, wrote Massad. Massad, a research fellow at the John F. Kennedy School of Government at Harvard University, also claimed in his article that the SEC could use the Bitcoin ETF approval process to improve the transparency and integrity of trading on Bitcoin exchanges. Quote, the approval would be granted on the condition that the ETF price be based on an index of exchange or exchanges meeting certain prescribed standards similar to those for securities and derivatives exchanges, end quote, he said. Basad added that because Bitcoin is not a security or a commodity traded on futures contracts, neither the SEC nor the CFTC can enforce rules and regulate exchanges. Quote, this means neither agency has the authority to set standards for Coinbase, Kraken, and other U.S.-based crypto exchanges. And it means investor protection is weak. There are no rules to prevent fraud, manipulation, and other abusive practices. There are no disclosure or reporting requirements. There are no prohibitions of conflicts of interest. Uh, some exchanges have proprietary trading operations that can compete against customer trades, and some have financial interest in the crypto assets that they list, end quote. <clears throat> The SEC has seen many filings <laughs> for a Bitcoin ETF in recent years. Yeah, there's like 14 of them, guys. But although North American neighbor Canada has already approved one, which has seen a significant demand, the U.S. is yet to list an option. Since 2017, companies in the space have been trying to list a, a Bitcoin ETF only to hit a brick wall. This year, however, the race has heated up. At the beginning of 2021, Valkyrie Digital Assets filed for approval of a Bitcoin ETF with the SEC, followed by institutional Bitcoin solution provider NYDIG in February. And in March, the influx was even more remarkable, with CBOE Global Markets leading the way and submitting a filing to list and trade shares of Vanex proposed Bitcoin ETF. A, <clears throat> a couple more companies also handed paperwork over, including Skybridge Capital and Fidelity. Although the SEC has been reluctant to approve a Bitcoin ETF in the United States, an ETF analyst shared in May that such a listing might become a reality in the country this year. <clears throat> Eric Balchness claimed that 2021 is different than other years due to the unprecedented institutional adoption of Bitcoin of the last half year. An ETF offering for an investment likely represents a significant mainstream adoption milestone. Freed from the complexity behind the asset itself, retail investors can enjoy price exposure, oh yay, through a simple regulated avenue. But that doesn't come without intrinsic drawbacks. Although retail can get exposure to USD price fluctuations of the underlying asset through an ETF, it does not possess the product itself, being that gold or Bitcoin. And that is a subtle but very important difference, especially for Bitcoin. Those who seek to be empowered by this unique network and its transformative nuances would need to purchase and custody the BTC themselves, which isn't rocket science, thanks to some great resources. And they've got great resources uh, as a link to a list of resources, but we won't get into that. You can do that shit yourself. You know the story, you know the name of the guy that wrote it, and you know the magazine, Namcios Bitcoin Magazine. Let's see, in case you do want to know, the date of this article was 20 hours ago. So sometime 
uh, <clears throat> July the 7th from Bitcoin Magazine. This came out, so go look for yourself. Now, <clears throat> in bottom feeding news, reality show is casting crypto users who were locked out of their wallets. That's right. Let's get some, let's get a stage full of the saddest sons of bitches you can find and, and let's just pour salt in th their wounds and tape their reactions. This is bottom feeding. People that put shows like this shit together and the producers that, that work on them and the uh, councils that approve them for funding at NBC or Netflix or whatever, they all need to be dragged outside and, and then tied to a horse and dragged behind it for miles and miles and miles out of town. Turner Wright, tell us about this sad, sad state of affairs from Cointelegraph. A casting call for a cable network series may offer crypto users at the end of their rope a way to access tokens locked away, or at least the show viewers some of the options that are available to them. In a LinkedIn post from last month, casting director Jessica Jorgensen called on crypto users who have forgotten their passwords and presumably their seed phrases or lost their private keys to wallets with the clock ticking. The series offers consultations from cryptocurrency and cybersecurity experts to help users recover access to their funds. However, it seems participants must be prepared to lose access to their coins if the attempted recovery is not successful. Jorgensen specifically asked users to mention how many passwords they have remaining before their accounts are locked and if they're willing to use the remaining attempts with the helps of experts. There are many ways to lose one's crypto holdings. One April 2020 study from digital research firm Kane Island suggested that there would never be more than 14 million Bitcoin in circulation given the incidence of users losing keys, accidentally throwing away hardware containing wallets, sending crypto to the wrong addresses, or failing to make arrangements to pass their holdings on after death. One of the more famous and expensive examples of lost coins includes the case of San Francisco-based programmer Stephen Thomas, who lost the password to access his iron key hard drive with 7,000 BTC, or about a quarter, well, no, $243 million at the time of publication. Thomas reportedly still has two attempts to guess the correct password before the hard drive's contents are seemingly irreversibly encrypted. Some other cases of recovered crypto stem from early in Bitcoin's history, i.e. from 2010 to 2011 when the coin was worth pennies and sometimes given as prizes for online games and contests. In January, one Redditor claimed to have found private keys to more than 4 million in BTC obtained before 2012 on an older model Dell computer. However, as Bitcoin and many other tokens prices have increased significantly in the last few years, users are seemingly more careful about storing their seed phrases, passwords, and keys. Paper wallets still exist, but many users rely on metal plates to engrave their seed phrases or private keys, as well as hardware wallets like uh, Trezor and Ledger for cold storage. In addition, storing tokens on exchanges while they may be vulnerable to hacks and intervention from local governments, give crypto users recourse with the platform's operators should they forget their passwords. So building a, a reality TV show around somebody who is like, you know, ha is like just a, a paper thin distance away from life transforming money and they want to put them on a show and record them. I hate all of these people. I hate people that think that this is a good idea. I hate people that prey upon the emotions of others. And I hate even worse, those that not only prey upon the emotions of others, but tape it live before a fucking studio audience. Fuck these people. I hope they all go to hell, man. Honestly, Jesus, God, and Robin Hood. After all their chicanery are going to be fined $10 million, which is, that's a bribe. That's a bribe. That's not even cost of doing business action, dude. That's just flat out bribery. Robinhood's crypto unit faces 10 million penalty over money laundering violations. Sunil Sharma writing it for CoinGape. Robinhood or Robinhood Crypto, the cryptocurrency brokerage unit of trading app Robinhood is facing a 10 million penalty by New York regulators. Of course, it's New York. Robinhood Crypto is penalized for allegedly violating state rules on cybersecurity and anti-money laundering. In January 2021, GameStop stock suffered a short squeeze primarily driven by a Reddit group called Wall Street Bets aimed to bleed hedge funds and institutional short sellers. This group majorly consists of 
Retail investors and Robinhood was among the key platforms where trading volumes were breaking all-time highs. Similarly, following endorsements from Elon Musk, interest shifted to the cryptocurrency Dogecoin and it spiked and reached an all-time high price of 73 cents. Dogecoin trading volume at Robinhood were off the charts as Dogecoin entered the top five cryptocurrencies. During the period, Robinhood suffered a technical glitches and also halted crypto deposits. Traders were specifically barred from trading in Dogecoin on several occasions. This soon caught regulator attention and Robinhood was charged whopping $70 million for technical outages and missteps related to options trading. The final penalty amount may well exceed $15 million and Robinhood may face tougher cybersecurity guidelines moving ahead. In its regulatory filing with the SEC, Robinhood said, quote, certain deficiencies in our policies and procedures regarding risk assessment, lack of inadequate in incident response and business continuity plan and deficiencies in our application and development security, end quote. Last week, Robinhood warned users about cyber attacks and informed that its bottom line might be affected. Also, Robinhood user accounts were compromised last year, and since the SEC, the Financial Industry Regulatory Authority, and New York State are all investigating Robinhood. The regulatory concerns are also a direct result of hacks of the Colonial Pipeline and Meatpacker JBSSA, the incidents that disrupted U.S. supply chains. <clears throat> the rising threat of criminal attacks and cryptocurrency ransoms is leading to more strict and tougher cyber compliance for companies like Robinhood. Dude, slap on the wrist. $10 million compared to what their bottom line is actually going to be is absolutely nothing. But we're out of time. That's going to do it for the morning roundup. Terrible Joke Corner is brought to you by, oh, look, it's Brecky, Brecky Von Bitcoin. He is at BVBTC on Twitter. Apparently, he's been writing uh, Bitcoin-based dad jokes lately. I'm going to slightly modify this one. A young Bitcoin developer shows her latest work to her banker father. The father says to his daughter, would you like to hear my opinion on Bitcoin? Yes, she says. It's worthless, says the banker. I know, the daughter replies, but let's hear it anyway. Not bad, Brecky. Not bad at all, dude. That's actually fairly impressive. He actually says a young lightning dev shows her latest work to her banker father because apparently he's like writing lightning jokes anyway. So I just wanted to convert that over just to make it fit a little bit better in, into, uh, into today's uh, uh, show of which is coming to an end. So four was 452 is in the bag. If you want to help a brother out, listen to it on the Breeze wallet, B-R-E-E-Z. It's amazing. I'm just, I, I want to talk about this for just a second because Breeze is not a, uh, they, I, oh God, they're not a customer of mine insofar as I'm getting paid by them to advertise. They're, they're not a sponsor. And yet here we are with me on a show, small as it may be, singing their praises of, 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 you know, I'm telling you to use the Breeze wallet. Why? Well, because you can get into the wallet, which is a, you know, it's a lightning wallet. It holds lightning, like Satoshis in a lightning address. And you can stream those, those Satoshis to me, direct to my Bitcoin lightning node, on a minute over minute basis, and I stream you these dulcet tones, right? Okay, so here, here's what it is. I'm seeing a model develop in Bitcoin where we're doing stuff essentially for, a lot of us are doing stuff for free for each other. We feel compelled to do these things. I feel compelled to do this show. It doesn't make any money. It's okay. I just, you know, it's okay because I've been doing it for three years. I'm not, I, I don't feel like stopping. I've never gotten a, a sponsor and that's okay. Some people have reached out and I'm trying to figure out a way where I just don't take on sponsors because I can do it like this. I can you, I can tell you about the Breeze wallet, B-R-E-E-Z. I'm incentivized to do that because if you do that, Maybe one out of 10 of you will stream me Satoshis to listen to this podcast. 
They're not paying me any money. I like the product. I use the product. Why wouldn't I tell you about it? And I'm seeing that model develop in several different places around the Bitcoin space. And it's not like it's, it's not like it just started happening. We've been doing this for well over three or four years now where I've really, really noticed it. I kind of think it's beautiful because we're doing it voluntarily. I'm voluntarily telling you about the Breeze Wallet because I'm incentivized to tell you about the Breeze Wallet. They're not paying me a damn thing for it. They haven't reached out to me. They, I guarantee you the guys over at Breeze Tech on the, their Twitter account and the guys over that's like, you know, the developers of the wallet, they don't know I'm telling you about this shit. They have no clue. You know, this is the whole reason I found out about the Breeze Wallet is because I was listening to Adam Curry talking about podcasting 2.0, whose entire premise is about enabling people that have podcasts. And I think that that's going to expand to video and all kinds of other types of, of you know, of performance art. Um, was telling me, basically has been constructing podcasting 2.0, which allows a value for value transfer, Right. Well, then I start getting into all that. And then I find out, you know, and, and Breeze Wallet just starts designing shit. Adam Curry's not paying Breeze Wallet to drop a podcasting app in the wallet. They're just doing it because it's something that needs to be done. We find ourselves at this, at a forefront, like a, a, a sort of a bleeding edge of humanity where people are shedding the old models of, I ain't doing dick unless you pay me to, uh, where, where can I search for incentives and make that work for myself and at least one other party? I would like to continue doing that. It would help me out if you'd spread the show, you know, give me a five-star rating, stream me some Satoshis, tell other people how they, that, tell other people about podcasting 2.0, advertise for Adam Curry, honestly. He's the guy that started the whole podcasting 2.0 and you start telling people about it. Adam Curry doesn't need to hire a marketing department. We all become each other's marketing department. It's sort of beautiful. I don't know if it'll work, but it's kind of beautiful. That said, stream me Satoshi's on the Breeze Wallets podcasting app and I will stream you these dulcet tones and I'll see you on the other side. This has been Bitcoin and, and I'm your host, David Bennett. I hope you enjoyed today's episode and hope to see you again real soon. Have a great day.